Hi there and welcome to Vroom, your weekly motorsport fix with me, Michael Hill. Welcome to episode 5 of Vroom. This week it's an all supersport affair. I'm joined by British Supersport frontrunner Brad Jones and fellow Yamaha Supersport rider Jules Cluzel. Cluzel, the Frenchman, multiple runner-up in the Supersport World Championship, is the most experienced rider on the 2020 grid and is certainly in contention for the 2020 World Supersport Championship. So as ever, let's kick off episode five with a quick look back at the last seven days in the motorsport world, predominantly two wheel based uh, for this week's recap. I'm going to kick things off with a review of the second round of the Italian championship. The CIV championship took place at the Misano World Circuit Marco Simoncelli. And just as in the first round of the championship Mugello a few weeks ago, the wins were split. Michele Pirro taking the win on Saturday but it was Lorenzo Savadori who produced a masterful ride on Sunday to extend his lead in the championship to 28 points. Michele Pirro had closed to within a second of Savadori, but on lap 13, he retired his Barney Racing Ducati Panigale with a technical problem. That means that Aprilia are still leading the championship 28 points in the lead with only four races left. Uh, interestingly, at the uh, Italian Championship, the Pacetti Racing team were also in action. Xavi Forez, who hasn't uh, taken part in a lot of the testing that the World Superbike teams have been doing, he was in action in Superbike. He finished third and second, respectively, but he was then removed from the results, a little bit like uh, Andrea Locatelli was in the Supersport uh, class a few weeks back because he was running his World Superbike machine, uh, which, of course, doesn't conform to the CIV regulations. A thrilling final lap on Sunday saw Lorenzo Gabellini get used to that name because he's going to make his World Superbike debut this coming week in Jerez uh, alongside uh, Takumi Takahashi in the MIE Racing Honda squad. Lorenzo Gabellini, the reigning Supersport champion of Italy, uh, he's riding Superbike this year for the very first time for the Altea Racing team. And he gave Honda the first CIV Superbike podium with Alessandro Del Bianco saving a spectacular high side on the final lap to secure his first podium. Uh, Del Bianco, you may remember, was a Honda rider in World Superbike last year. Want to stick with the Honda topic very quickly. Uh, the brand new CBR1000RR, of course, ridden in the World Superbike Championship by Leon Haslam and Alvaro Bautista. And of course, with the MIE team as well, also running the Hondas. Uh, there's four bikes on the grid in World Superbike. But it was actually Spain's Miguel Pons, uh, who has the accolade uh, of being the first ever rider in Europe to take a podium on the all-new Fireblade. Uh, he finished third in the opening round of the ESBK, which is the Spanish uh, series. Uh, their opening round took place at Navarra. It was a race that was won, or Saturday's race certainly, was won by uh, Roman Ramos on the Kawasaki. But Spain's Miguel Pons normally rides a super sport machine. We've seen him wildcarding so, so many times uh, at Portimao. His first ever ride on a superbike, and he put the Leglise Honda uh, onto the podium. Finally, let's have a quick recap then of MotoGP news. They were back in action at Jerez, the Andalusia Grand Prix, as it was known. And it was a Yamaha lockout, wasn't it? A great, great ride from Fabio Quattararo, taking the win from Maverick Vinales. And a certain 41-year-old doctor, Valentino Rossi, getting back on the podium to secure his 199th Premier Class podium in MotoGP. Absolutely fantastic. Ennio Bastianini took a maiden win in Moto2. Tatsuki Suzuki was like a different man compared to seven uh, days ago. He converted pole position to the victory in Moto3. While Dominique Agata, the Swiss rider, he took his first win in Moto E to now lead the championship. Sticking with Moto E, we should give a shout out too uh, to Jordi Torres, who became the first World Superbike race winner and in fact first ever World Superbike podium finisher to finish on a Moto E podium. Uh, Spanish Elvis, as he is affectionately known, finished second in the Moto E Andalusia Grand Prix. 
And the final recap is for the Women's European Championship. Former World Supersport point scorer Beatrice Naylor from Spain made it three wins from three races in the 2020 Women's European Championship. She rides for the Trasimino team, which also have a team in the World Supersport 300s. Her deal this year, uh, not to ride with that team, incidentally, but to ride with another team, fell through. She's now back on track in the all-new Women's European Championship, which runs alongside the CIV series. Uh, she's now won three races from three. She won the season opener in Mugello and she got the double, uh, a win on Saturday and a win on Sunday at Mizano. That was a recap of uh, the last seven days. We've got lots to look forward to in the next seven days because World Superbike is back at Jerez and of course we get ever closer to the BSB return. So lots to look forward to and lots to digest over the next seven days. Up first then on episode five of Vroom is uh, Brad Jones. As I said, it's going to be a, a bit of a super sport frenzy for the next hour or so. We've got Brad Jones coming up first and then he'll be joined uh, a little bit later by Jules Cluzel, the most successful super sport racer, as I said, in the intro in the World Championship. But Brad is uh, dialing into me now and uh, from the camera view that I've got, looks like you're relaxing there in uh, some uh, very swish conservatory. How are you, mate? Yeah, all good, thank you. Yeah, this has been uh, my favourite spot throughout lockdown, so it's uh, pretty well suited to me at the moment. No, it's good to catch up, and obviously thanks for thanks for being a guest. Um, I'm assuming that you've been watching the first couple of rounds of MotoGP. We're actually recording this on Sunday afternoon, so uh, I know that I've been watching. Uh, did you catch any of the action from Jerez today? Yeah, yeah, as always, it's like a ritual on a MotoGP weekend to sit down and watch it all. But yeah, I've watched all the action throughout the weekend, and obviously three really interesting races and the heat being probably the biggest concept for the three races today. So yeah, it's really interesting, the outcome of them. So yeah, I really enjoyed today's races. Yeah, I mean, focusing just on on the MotoGP, I know we're going to talk a little bit about your career and, and your aspirations for this shortened BSB season and obviously looking ahead to 2021, which again is still a bit of an unknown, isn't it, with, with everything that's going on uh, in the world. But MotoGP, they reckon it was possibly... Uh, hotter than Malaysia. And we saw an interview on BT Sport with Razlan Rosali. I mean, it, it looked bloody hot out there, didn't it? Um, have, you, have you ever experienced riding in those conditions? I mean, I know you raced in Qatar, but it definitely wasn't definitely wasn't track temperature 60 degrees. No, exactly. You know, as I was watching it, you know, the only comparison to riding in hot weather I've got is Qatar. And I will never forget how I felt after the, the Supersport race in Qatar um, with the heat. And for them boys, you know, to be racing in, you know, warmer climates, even hotter than what we're in Qatar and, you know, the track temperature being up to like, you know, 63 degrees is, is um, you know, unimaginable really. But, you know, you could really see today how it really stung the riders, especially after the, the Merc GP race, it's probably the, the hottest point of the day. And you could really see how hard they had to work and especially Nakagami, you know, he looked like he could have, he could have flaked out at any minute after the race. And, um, yeah, the only way I could compare it is to Qatar. And as I say, after the race there, I'd never felt anything like that. I felt totally, you know, really physically and mentally exhausted. And it took me days to get over it. Um, so, yeah, yeah, hats off to them, you know, fair play. I was going to say, you were probably just ex exhausted by me dragging you onto the stage every five minutes, even in the middle of the desert. So, uh, sorry about that. But... <laughs> <laughs> but at least I didn't have to sing, you know, I'm happy about that. So. <laughs> oh, we, we, we can sing now if you want. We've got another 26 minutes to go, so you feel free. No, it's all good. I think my throat's up to it today. <laughs> <laughs> what was your highlight from, from the MotoGP races? I mean, Fabio Quattararo, I mean, it's been a while coming, hasn't it? Now he's got two on the bounce. I've got to ask you about Mark Marquez. Um, I think I made a tweet saying, you know, that's it, season over. And then he goes and defies everybody by at least attempting to ride. A lot of people saying, you know, he was stupid, he's risking other riders. But you've been through medical examinations and you know, you know, if he wasn't physically able to even ride the bike, they would never have let him on the track. And let's put this into context. Marquez in the, the free practice sessions was within about 0.7 or 0.8 of the fastest times of the weekend. I mean, I don't, I don't think I'd be within 10 seconds. I mean, what, what he achieved, I know he didn't ride and he didn't score points, but what he achieved was phenomenal, wasn't it? It really was. Absolutely incredible. You know, when I seen it come out on social media, I was thinking, you know, surely not. And I can see from his point of view why he wanted to do it. Obviously, as a racer, you want to get back as soon as possible. And I think 
for him to be able to sleep at night, he had to have a go. Um, and then for him to get out there and do what he did, you know, I've seen pictures of the x-rays on the internet and, you know, it's a nasty, nasty break. Um, and for him to, yeah, even churn out the times that he was doing is incredible. But to be fair, if any rider was going to have a go, it would be Marquez, wouldn't it? You know what he's like. He's just, he's on another level. But, you know, fair play to him for having a go. And I'm sure he'll bounce back at, you know, the next round with, um, you know, some better form. Yeah, yeah, I'm not one for, for putting sort of my personal views out there on social media, but I, I did after the race today, especially around um, the performance from Cal Crutchlow and Alex Rins. I mean, Alex Rins finished 10th um, with a, a pretty battered up shoulder. And, and Cal, I know he came in and made some changes, had a bit of a problem, but he went back out. Both of those riders did complete the race. And I think fair play to both of those as well. I mean, heroic from, from, from all three of them, really. Yeah, incredible. You know, especially obviously Crutchlow, you know, he was, you know, under anaesthetic on Tuesday, you know, he's, he won't be feeling, you know, brand new anyway, uh, regardless. So for him to, you know, score some points and then Rins, you, you know, took a heavy, heavy hit in the last week. So in that hit, the injury that he's got, I think is probably going to take longer than what, you know, Crutchlow's got. And because obviously it's soft tissue damage. So that is going to sting him, I think, for the next, for, well, maybe for the rest of the season. So it is a shame, but he's proved today that he can score, you know, 10th place you know, a week, a week after the accident. So with a couple more weeks recovery, I'm sure he'll again, come back with some good form at the next one. And then obviously as the season goes, he'll probably just get stronger and stronger and learn to adapt to ride with it. If you know what I mean? Yeah. I've got to ask you one final question before we uh, talk about you, which is why you're on here. We're not just here to talk about MotoGP. I do want to hear about what you've been up to and your plans for the season. Um, Valentino Rossi, 41 years of age, his 199th, premier class podium um i mean he was in there mixing it with with the youngsters wasn't he i mean we saw a new new the new breeds coming through on there with fabio and uh Peco, who i felt so sorry for when his bike mm, let um but you know age is but a number where the doctor is con concerned um again that was a standout performance and, and valentino showing look hey don't underestimate me there's clearly there's clearly some niggles going on with yamaha isn't there with the the, the interviews he's giving but you know if if what they've done is listen to him and he can get podiums, there's no reason he should hang up his helmet. Yeah, I, you know, he really dug deep today. And today, I think the conditions as hard as it's probably going to get all year. And for, you know, 41-year-old, he's still showing that he's got a lot of fight left in him. And that's really, a, you know, testing me to how, you know, how dedicated he is to the sport. And that really shows that, you know, I think that was a sort of a, you know, tipping his cap to everyone to show, you know, there's still, there's still a lot to go yet. So don't count me out just yet, which, you know, fair play to him. It's um, a true Rossi, you know, trait to do something like that. So yeah, it's really good to see. And um, I was hoping he's going to get a second, but you know, third's still solid and it's a podium. Um, and again, three Yamaha's on the podium, which has probably not been done for a while. So I'm sure they'll be uh, over yeah. the moon. Yeah, definitely. It's been a while since we've had a, a Yamaha lockout, but you know, it just impressed me how good Rossi was still on the brakes. I mean, Maverick was not getting through. I mean, it just shows his experience, but you know, he's the guy can still ride a bike. And I think, you know, as you said, you, you've got to underestimate him at your peril. Uh, and a lot of people are saying, well, if he hangs his leathers up, will he come to World Superbike? I don't think he's finished in MotoGP. I genuinely don't. I honestly believe he still feels that he can fight for podiums, which he's just proven today. So he, he wants to stay there. And, you know, you, you, you can't, only Valentino knows what he wants to achieve, you know? We, we can't yeah. get inside his head at the end of the day. Um, no, I'd I love to see he... him come to World Superbike, for sure. But, you know, I, I think <laughs> his, his heart is to stay in, in MotoGP. Yeah, I think, I think he'll forever be in GPs. But today's ride, I think, really shows that he, you know, he's showing to everyone that he still deserves a seat there. Um, and, yeah, he's super strong. And once again, and over the, you know, the last 10 years, he's had to adapt so much. Um, and he's proven that even at his age, he's that he can he can still adapt and still you know improve. Um, so for sure, he'll be wanting to bag himself a good seat for next year. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's move away from MotoGP. I did a whole segment at the beginning of the podcast reviewing everything that's gone on in, in the last seven days of uh, the two and the four wheel world. So let's come back to to Supersport, Brad, and talk about Brad Jones because. Over the last couple of years, you've you've risen. Uh, you know your stock value has certainly risen uh, in the British stakes. You've had a couple of outings in the World Superbike paddock in, in World Supersport. A, a, a fantastic ride at Donington 
uh, last year. There's so many things that I want to talk about. Just for the benefit of those that are listening that are maybe you know not familiar with with the two wheel world, because of course we have got a lot of car uh, fanatics uh, listening uh, to this new podcast. Um, British Supersports runs alongside the British Superbike Championship. It's one of the most prestigious domestic championships in the world. Supersport racing is pretty much as, as tough as it gets. It's proper elbow bashing. And in the case of Alistair Seeley and uh, Jack Kennedy in the past, fist pumping and kicks kicks going down Paddock Hill. It's a proper intense category, but it's great, great fun, isn't it? It is, yeah. And, that, you know, it's um, I, I love nothing more than a good a, a good dogfight like that. Um, and, yeah, Supersport, you know, is generally, you know, seen as, you know, axe murderers as people have sort of once titled it. So, you know, it, it does get tough at times. Um, and that's what I enjoy. And I think you take that with you, you know, you're sort of, you know, prepared for a bit of bar bashing, a bit of, you know, paint trading. So, yeah, super sport can get tough at times, but that's probably the reason why, you know, many people love it so much. So, you know, it's, it's brilliant, really. Yeah, and of course, let's, I just want to focus a little bit about the team as well, because you're with the, the Appleyard team, Robin Appleyard himself, a former uh, British champion, front runner in, uh, in European Championships, Grand Prix rider as well. I mean, you're with one, arguably one of the best super sport teams on the grid, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have it all your own way. I mean, the, the, the rules in super sport mean that generally anybody with the right bike uh, and the right sort of um, setup can, can mix it week in week out it's, it's not a foregone conclusion like in formula one you know you've got to be in one or two or three cars you're going to win i mean you still have to fight for it yeah that yeah you know the, the team is brilliant they've won the super sport championship you know three years on the bounce now so we're looking to go for four times and hopefully i'll be the one to do that for them but yeah they certainly know how to win um so it's definitely down to me now um but robin you know doug the whole team going to give me everything that I need to to aim to get the job done this year but I think looking at you know last year to this year I think there's going to be more riders that will be in the mix that can win races so I think I think this year the racing is going to be closer and we'll probably see a little bit more you know bar bashing paint trading so that that's something that really excites me so I think um, everyone should be in for a treat really. Yeah, and the point that you mentioned, how how important is it going to be? We've seen it a little bit in in Moto America with with Cambodia dominating some races and then crashing out, and that zero score brings everybody else back into contention. We've seen it also uh, in the Moto Three World Championship. Arenas looking like he's running away with it. Crash today, points come back together. So with the fact that the racing this year is going to be probably, as you said, more more bar bashing, the season itself is already shorter with less races. Is that going to play on your mind? Have you actually started thinking about, you know, how do you attack this season? Because it's not going to be a normal season, is it? No, I think you've got to take every round as it comes and you can never take your foot, you know, off the gas and you can never take your eye off the, off the ball. Um, a DNF, you know, in a 24 race championship can be diluted a little bit almost. And if it's not a crucial point, can almost be forgotten about. But in a 13 race championship like we have this year, you really cannot afford to make any silly mistakes. Obviously, DNFs may happen, but I think you know if you're in a race and on a, on the day you may be struggling, you take you take what you can get rather than overstepping the mark and coming away with nothing. Um, so yeah, to to, to win a, the championship, you know I'm going to have to be smart, and if you know everyone else is going to be thinking the same, that's for sure. But um, it's going to be different, but. It's going to be it's going to be interesting. So I'm I'm sure it's going to make some good racing. Yeah, no, for sure. I think I've said it so many times over the last few years that you know that not necessarily the fastest rider wins the championship, right? The championship is determined by the rider with the most points. I mean, how many times have we seen champions that have never won a race? I mean, uh, Andrew Pitt, World Supersport champion, he won his first World Supersport championship without winning a race. So it's all about getting those points. Uh, and I think you're absolutely right. One one mistake could cost you the title, which hopefully is not going to happen in your case. You're going to have a good season, but um, we, we have seen it already in this condensed season on the world stage that you know mistakes could potentially cost you big yeah that exactly that and you know i think like you said you can you're more likely to see someone that's not won a, won a race win a championship this year because obviously the more condensed championship um but you know we're gonna have to be clever we're gonna have to use a head um and maybe not take the win if it's not there you know rather than, than push it but um you know, it's it's really it's really exciting, um, and it feels like forever that we haven't been racing. So, um, you know, I'm testing on Tuesday, so it'd be like the first time back in the paddock 
um, and it's going to feel it's going to feel strange. So, but you know, I'm really looking forward to getting back to work with the team and, and getting the the championship kicked off. Really, yeah, exactly. As you said, uh, luckily for the World Super Sport Championship, we've got Jules Cluzel coming up in uh, in sort of 15 20 minutes on on this this show. Um, they were able to go racing. They raced in Australia. They did all their winter tests. For you guys, it was literally game over before it even got started. So, how have you? Being able to keep yourself focused on the job at hand because it's only been recently that it's been announced the calendar. You know, up until sort of two months ago, you didn't even know if there was going to be a championship. So it must be so difficult as an athlete, as a, as a racer, to to keep focused, thinking, well, we might get a championship. We might be a one race shootout. It might not even happen at all. Yeah, it's difficult, you know, because we did the test at the start of the year in March. You know, we did about five days on the, with the team, but now that feels like that's that was last year that's forgotten about so it almost feels like we're starting from square one but all through lockdown you know i just just kept myself fit and kept myself you know focused just you know always sort of telling myself you know it's better to uh you know stay ready rather than have to get ready once you know when the calendar's starting so i just always kept that motivation there that and you know just anticipate the season started uh starting and now it is starting you know i'm probably you know in a, in a really good shape um and obviously going into a new season with a brilliant team um, with a shot of, you know, claiming the, the championship, that's what's really kept me going. Um, and now we're, we're just a matter of days away. Um, the excitement's really high. So, yeah, it's, um, yeah, interesting things to come. It'd be good. Yeah, no, I, I can't wait. I'm really, really looking forward to it. One thing I've got to ask you about, and it's, it's one of the questions that I, I can see both sides of the argument um, in the British Supersport Championship. It's quite unique in the fact that it also includes Moto2 machines as well. So for those listeners that are not familiar, the Supersport bike is basically uh, a road bike. And please chip in if I get this wrong, because I'm not a technical guy. But in, in very, very base terms, you go to the shop, Apple Yards, if you really want, because they also sell uh, sell motorcycles. A little plug there. Yeah, that, that, check. That's a good deal. They're doing a good deal, <laughs> absolutely. But you go to the showroom, you buy the bike. It's not as simple as this, but in essence, you're taking off the, the lights, taking off, the, changing a few things, different exhaust, maybe a little bit of uh, changing to certain parts of the engine and you go racing. So it's basically a showroom bike. Moto2 is very, very different. The chassis is a prototype. Um, the engine is, I think in the UK, you're not running the 675. So it's the older version uh, Moto2 machine. So they're all all pretty yeah. much the same engines and they're running the Calyx or the speed up, uh, et cetera. Yeah. Um, very different characteristics on track. Um, in not necessarily in terms of overall lap time, but in terms of the way that you would attack the corners. The other big difference, of course, is that the Moto2 machines, and I think it's still the case this year in the BSB Supersports, they can also run slick tires. So it's slightly different regulations, but the overall lap time is very much the same. I can see the reason why that's been introduced, because ultimately the idea is to progress and get as many riders from Great Britain into the Moto2 European and then the World Championships. It makes perfect sense, and I can understand why the organisers did that. But we have seen in the past, haven't we, especially last year and the year before, where on occasions the Moto2 machines are kind of almost hindering the racing for the for the, the super sports. And they're not hindering it because they're going slow, because they're in their own championship fight, if that makes sense. So I can see it from both sides. I was just was interested from a rider's perspective. Is it frustrating or is it an extra incentive or, you know, how, how do you see that in terms of the Moto2 has been integrated? Yeah, it's difficult. Um, I, I, like you, I can understand why they've done it. And it, I think moving forward, it, you know, it's a good thing for the, for the championship. But racing against them um, is quite difficult. Obviously, last year we had Carl Ride was probably the most competitive, you'd say, uh, on the GP2. He won the championship and he was regularly at the front. Um, and to race against him, it was difficult at times um, and I wasn't really quite sure how that would work racing against a GP2 going into the season but the thing is, it was the opposite to what I was thought I was expecting them to be running you know big corner speed um, and just carrying that momentum where it was actually the, the other way there was times where you know you get to the apex of the corner and you think you're going to run into the back of them um, and then that then affects obviously my, my corner exit speed so you lose all your drive and it kills you down you know down the next straight and then you can't catch them on the brakes which is really tough at times and they're also they're also quite a bit lighter than uh, a super sport bike um which means their top speed is pretty good and they have really strong brakes so it's hard it was hard to race against them and at times you just had to put a, you know a tough move in to get past 
because you know you could see a group of two getting away at the front and it was just hard to get by them but it's an interesting concept um and it's one that i think will continue to grow throughout the class um but it can be difficult at times but you know i'm not complaining it it is what it is um and it puts more riders on the grid and we've seen many times throughout last year it did create good racing um so yeah i don't i don't see a problem with it it's just once you know where their strengths and weaknesses are, you just have to watch out for them and, you know, and jump at the weaknesses when you can. Yeah, for sure. That kind of leads me on to the next question, because I want to turn the focus to World Supersport, because you've had a couple of outings in World Supersport. You mentioned Qatar, where you raced for Team Toth. Difficult weekend, um, first time at the track, etc. What I'm really wanting to focus on is that stunning debut that you had at Donington mm. Park, because I mean, you were off the light, off at the lights like a scalded cat running right at the front, and, and I'm commentating on the stage with, you know, probably a good 1,500 people in front of the paddock show, going, "Hang on a minute, he could get a bloody podium here! Like this is incredible!" Like you know, so what was going through your mind there? Because obviously, that's it's, I was, it, it is a step up that the bikes are pretty much the same, but you know, the, the way that they ride in the World Championship is different. I've spoken to so many riders, you know, in the offer who's making his debut in World Supersport 300. It's a lot of come from the British Championship. I can get in the top six. I turn up at Aragon and I'm three seconds off and yeah. I think I'm riding flat out and they're passing me on the curb, looking at me as if to say like, open the throttle, mate. You know, it's, it's, it's a completely <laughs> different riding style. How did you adapt? I mean, obviously you adapted well because you, you had a great race, but um, did it surprise you how differently the World Supersport boys ride? Yeah, for sure. I went into the weekend with literally no expectation. I was just going there to really soak up the experience and just see what we could get out of it. Um, and it turned out, you know, it did turn out a really good weekend. Definitely a highlight in my career. Um, but the it is it's a level, isn't it? You know, it's world championship. It is. It's just that little bit. You know, that step up again from British Championship. Um, but I think it proves how high the level of British Championship is then to go to World Supersport. You know, British Supersport is really competitive. Um, yeah, yeah. And based off of that, I was able to go into to Donington World Superbikes with my team and on my bike. And, you know, both me and Jack, you know, had a top 10. So it was a solid outing for us both. But the level, like you said, is that little bit again. Um, and the thing that gets me is the, the consistency of their race pace. And that's where I probably lacked a little bit in the race because I qualified really strong. Um, but then going into the race, you know, I had a really good start, which is one of my strong points. And it was really surreal to start off with, running right behind the likes of, you know, these people that I watch on the TV week in, week out and try and learn from, you know, that I would run with them. So it was brilliant from that, that uh, aspect. And I think, to be fair, moving forward for the rest of my British Championship season, it raised my level that a little bit again. So going on for the, the second half of the British Championship, I was that little bit better again. And um, But yeah, it's a weekend and a, an experience that I'll never forget. And it'd be, it'd be great to do more, to be fair, if, if the opportunity arises. You mentioned earlier on in our interview about uh, you not being frightened of getting the old elbows out and having a bit of a fight. Um, I'm, I have to look back at the footage, but I'm pretty sure that one of the riders that you passed early on was Luca Mahias, who was the former world champion. He was obviously riding uh, with, uh, with a Kawasaki, having ridden with Yamaha for a long time. Thoughts as you went past the former world champion? I mean, what goes through? I mean, obviously you're focusing on the race, but I just find it so interesting to, to think, you know, as you say, these are, these are guys that you've watched on TV, the likes of Cluzel and, and Mahias and, you know, the MV guys and, and all this. And away from the line and you, I think you went on the inside of him going into the old hairpin it was definitely one of the Kawasaki's earlier I can't remember maybe it was his teammate but it was it was definitely one of them and I, you know what goes through your mind there thinking I've just overtaken a world champion like bloody hell <laughs> I know yeah I can't remember who exactly I passed but I do remember one point in a race um where I could have outbroke Cluzel and I was thinking to myself do I don't I you know you know I don't want to take him out and cause you know big upset but but I ended up choosing to sit behind him and, you know, he actually pulled me along and pulled me along for a bit longer in a race. But yeah, it was just, I sort of just tried to treat the, the riders as, as I would in British Championship, you know what I mean? Um, but on the flip side of that, following them and, you know, looking at how they were riding was, you know, it was great for me. Um, as I said before, it definitely raised my level of my riding just in 20 laps around Donington Park. I learned so much. So um, yeah, moving forward, it was definitely, you know, took a lot from that weekend. So 
Brilliant. Yeah, as I said, I'd love to do another World Supersport wildcard if possible, but we'll just have to see how things pan out. Yeah, unfortunately, it has now been announced that the British round, or the UK round as we call it, of, uh, of World Superbike will not happen this year. Uh, mm. So you're not going to get a chance there. They've also cancelled the Dutch round as well. So even just jumping on a ferry and coming across to Assen, uh, it isn't going to happen. That potentially no. means 2021, which I guess we should talk about 2021. One of the questions I was going to ask was, what's your target for this year? But I think it's pretty clear from what yeah. you've said already, that the target is to win the British Championship, which I think you've got every chance of, of doing. As you said, it's not going to be easy. There's some some great guys on the, the grid, but you've got every chance to do that. So let, let's go along with the fact then, you know, Brad Jones is the, the 2020 champion uh, six months from now. And uh, we're mm-hmm. having another chat on uh, the Room podcast. And uh, he's going to tell us where he's going for 2021. So have you already started thinking about 2021? I know a lot of people uh, saying, uh, you know, why are you talking about 2021? But it's going to come around quick, isn't it? I mean, it really will come around quickly. Yeah, it's a strange situation to be in because it's around this time of year that negotiations and you start putting things in place for 2021, which is about now. But to be thinking about that now when we haven't even, you know, done one race this year yet is, it is strange. But I think you'd be silly not to be thinking about where you want to go and what you want to do in 2021. And I thought long and hard about it and I've still not come to the conclusion of what I definitely want to do. Um, and whatever I do next year, I just want to make sure that I'm on a strong package. And that's something that I've always said and you know, we'll, we'll try and stick by is that I'll make sure that we're on a good package. But um, it, I, I'd be interested, Superbike, getting on a big bike does interest me now. Um, I think the timing's right. I spent a long time on a 600 um, and I've tried to pursue the world supersport scene, which is just never quite... You never quite come off, and then obviously with the whole coronavirus um, thing, is probably come couldn't come at a worse time for me pursuing that sort of thing um, for for many reasons, timing, finances, and all the rest of it. So maybe the superbike route or getting on a a thousand cc bike is maybe the route for me now, especially with my size and everything. Um, I am a little bit of a height disadvantage in super sport because of being quite tall and quite broad shouldered. Um, I do lose a bit of top speed, which is always difficult, but it's something that I know I'm up against before we even start. So, um, so yeah, super bike and getting on a big bike does interest me. Um, but so as what, just... what you're saying then is 2021 wildcard world superbike at Donington. I mean, we've heard it here first. It's the first room <laughs> exclusive. Yeah, that'd be a dream, you know, to do a world superbike round on a, on a in superbike class would literally for me would be a, a dream and a, a big tick in the box. But I, as I say, never say never. Let, let's get the ball rolling. <laughs> that, that would be really cool, wouldn't it? I mean, why not? Why not? I mean, it's been a while since we've seen, uh, you know, competitive wildcards coming in purely because of the rules, isn't it? A lot of people say, ah, but, you know, um, I get quite frustrated when people try to compare BSB with with World Superbike. I'm a big fan of any kind of racing. I'll go and watch a, a tractor race, you know, as long as it's got an engine, I'll go and watch it. So I think it's difficult to draw true comparisons purely because of the regulations. I mean, Moto America, yeah. they run the same regulations in terms of the engines and things, but they run completely different mm-hmm. tires. So Gary yeah. Gurloff, for example, he's come across and he's gone, bloody hell, these Pirelli tires give me so much more grip. Um, yeah. But they don't last the full, the full race. You have to manage them. Where with Dunlop, he can you know, not go quite as fast as he can on a Pirelli, but it's going to be within three or four tenths the whole race. Um, obviously, with BSB, same tyres, more or less, um, but the regulations are different. There's no traction control uh, in, in BSB. Uh, and that's mm-hmm. something that even Leon Haslam has said, actually, it was more difficult coming... You would think it would be easier going back to the track, having the traction control. And Leon even said to me several times, actually, it's the other way around. So it's not as easy as what sort of I call them arm, armchair races. You know, these people that watch, but, oh, but BSB is this and, and World Superbike is this and MotoGP is this. But they're all fantastic in their own rights. You know, uh, and you can't compare the two. I mean, it would be nice. It, it would be great to go back to the old days, wouldn't it? Where you had, you know, all the rules were the same and you'd get the days where you'd turn up in Japan and the Japanese guy would, you know, his 17 year olds would just disappear off into the distance and Fogarty would be like, where the bloody hell did he come from? You know, but you know, I think we've even had it in BSP, haven't we? We've had Hislop at the sharp end and Shaky Bird yeah. at the sharp end. And, you know, mm-hmm. the late David Jeffries, I think even got on the podium for a, on a VNM mm-hmm. Honda years ago. So those days aren't here anymore, um, sadly. And it'd be great to see, see that. But as you said, if you're going to go to the thousands, what, why not? Um, and I guess if you go down that route, then the long-term, goal would be to go world superbike is more or less what you what you're saying right because then i guess the jump from superbike into MotoGP maybe isn't the right way to go i don't know i don't know 
Yeah, it's, it's it, you know a lot of it depends on what um, you know opportunities arise at the right whether they come at the right time. Um, but you know, I'm 22 now, so looking at next year, I'll be 23 years old. So that give, it does give me a little bit of time to you know pave my way on a superbike. Um, and with superbike and getting on a thousand, there is a lot you know some more opportunities that would be interesting. You know, things like endurance racing, like Suzuka. You know, you see a lot of good superbike riders get opportunities um at suzuka and that's that for me that's something i would love to have a go at i know it's not easy um but it's always an, an event which you know i have a lot of interest in um so i think yeah moving forward and looking to the future i've got i've got a little bit of time on my side not too much but at least got a year or two to to basically you know it's, go, it's like going back to being an, an apprentice i've got to do my apprenticeship again on a big bike um you know i've got quite a lot of racing experience but it's all on a 600 so to get on a super bike and be quick it doesn't happen overnight um so i've got a little bit of time on my side um and it's just something that interests me moving forward and i think for my career that's the sort of the path that i need to go down really yeah well i mean i think certainly from a super bike point of view i think we look at the the latest news marco Melandri's coming back um at 39 so uh, i don't think you've got to worry too much you're not even 23 yet so i think you a couple, couple <laughs> of years learning how to ride the bigger bikes and uh, the doors will open won't they it's uh, you, you've got every chance and as you say i mean I, i'm closing the door on, on a possible route into moto gp and, and i shouldn't really when you look at we can take even jake dixon as a, as a prime example he, he did a year mm. on the, uh, the superbike or a couple of years on the superbike right place right time and now he's with the patronus moto 2 team so it doesn't necessarily mean that the door is closed. You know, as you say, you've just got to be in the right place, right time, tick all the boxes for those that are watching and away you go. Yeah, exactly. There's no like, it's not like uh, there's no set route of you need to be here at this age and here at that age and you've got to do this and you've got to do that. If you, if everything's right and you, do, you provide the results and you've got the right people around you, then you can generally, you know, make things work. And I think a lot of the doors, you know, they, they'll open based off what you can do and you know and how you how you are so um yeah there's no set route but i think in for the next you know looking two three years time the superbike would be the way to go and then there on after you know like you've just said any sort of door could open and you could split off and go another way you know it's it that's the interesting thing with bike racing that anything can happen you know 12 months makes a big big difference yeah, it does. Uh, and so does 31 minutes of talking. There's me saying that we'll uh, we'll keep it to 20 minutes. You know what I'm like when I get going. I haven't talked to anybody since uh, February. So everyone that comes on, I'm like, it's 15, 20 minutes. OK. And then 40 minutes later, we're still going. But uh, <laughs> Brad, um, thank you so much for, for, for joining us. Um, really going to be looking forward to, to watching how you get on uh, this season. Uh, so uh, keep it on two wheels. And uh, who knows, ladies and gents, we could have just had the interview with the 2020 British Supersport champion, Brad Jones. Cheers, buddy. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Thanks a lot. Well, Cheers. that was Brad Jones riding for the Apple Yard team this year. They've got a new sponsor and uh, all of that will be announced uh, in due course. So keep uh, an eye on Brad uh, and uh, his exploits in the British Supersport Championship. But stick with us because coming up next, we're going to be talking to that rider that Brad Jones thought about passing but didn't. Jules Cluzel coming up next. <laughs> Here at Vroom, we want to hear from you, our listeners. So whether you've got a burning motorsport question or if you've got a favourite rider that you'd like us to try to reach out and arrange an interview with, please, please, please get in touch. You can contact me through my Twitter account, at mhillofficial. So what are you waiting for? Get in touch today. Our second guest on episode five of Vroom is the uh, multiple race winner, multiple runner-up in the Supersport World Championship, Jules Cluzel, who's dialing in now. Uh, I was going to say from France, but you actually live in Andorra. Yeah. Hi, Michael. Uh, I'm living in Andorra the last uh, six, uh, six years. Ah, perfect. But so I'm French. Not, so, yeah. So, ladies and gents, he's not dialing in from France. He's dialing in from Andorra. How, how is life treating you, uh, Jules? Obviously, we're, we are recording this 
a couple of days before we head out to, to Jerez for a World Super Sport and World Superbike restart. So I guess you must be super excited to get back to it. Yeah, I'm good. I, I was really uh, training hard the last uh, couple of months. Um, I took these times to, to train hard, as I say, and, uh, and uh, yeah, to get something positive out of this, uh, this period. It has been difficult for a lot of people, but for me, I don't want to complain. I was with my uh, little daughter. Uh, and, um, and I'm now really excited to restart. We, we get a um, couple of tests, uh, so, so that was good. And, uh, and now is the, is the week of the race. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems strange, doesn't it? I think the last time, in fact, the last time we properly spoke, uh, I know we spoke at Aragon in the test last week briefly, um, but the last time we properly spoke was when we had our annual Prosecco fight in Phillip Island. It seems like years ago. It seems a lifetime ago. Yeah, it, it seems like last year. Yeah, too long. It <laughs> was, was, a, was a great time, yeah. Yeah, yeah, always. For those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, uh, Jules Cluzel thought it would be hilarious last year to empty a complete bottle of Prosecco Doc all over me inside the commentary room and then proceeded to, uh, to have a fight with me uh, on the stage at the Paddock Show. But I think you'll agree, though, Jules, I got my own back this year. I did pretty good this year. Yeah, you did pretty good, but uh, I did it again on the podium, so that was, uh, that was funny. Yeah, I wasn't going to say that. Twi- I do twice, but uh, but you you had a revenge. Yeah, yeah, and and again now, sadly, there is going to be no revenge for a while because uh, unfortunately we don't have fans in the first few rounds of World Superbike. But that gives me more time to to plan an even bigger revenge. That's that's how I'm looking at it. No problem. I like the competition. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, you mentioned just then, Jules, uh, you've spent a lot of the, uh, the lockdown with your, uh, your new daughter. Uh, so we should say congratulations, Jules, another one of the riders in the paddock that's become uh, a father recently. And uh, I've got to say, Jules, uh, you and Petra, you've produced a beautiful little girl. She's adorable, mate. She really is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I cannot really say the true things because uh, I'm the father, but uh, She's she's funny. It was it has been great for us because it it was planned to have a complete season, and uh, the I mean I le- I left after one week for Australia, and uh, and then it was uh, planned to have the races uh, after that. So I had the luck to stay with them. Um, I saw her growing, and it was really nice. And uh, she's cute. And uh, just the last week, she makes me a little bit. Uh, tired because she's not really sleeping so uh, so yeah i will sleep in jerry's <laughs> yeah of course because uh, partners and, and families are not allowed to not allowed to travel and, and i guess she'll, she's still too young to really understand what her dad does for a living though right she, she she's not talking yet she, i mean how old is she six months or was... no nah, she's five and a half months yeah five but uh, months, for sure yeah. she's not talking yet <laughs> not talking yet it'd be interesting i'll be i'll be keen to see as i will uh, with a lot of the riders that are having kids to see what they think uh, about their dad's jobs because you'll have to agree you know motorcycle racing it's not as it's not as mainstream as it should be i think it should be one of the top sports i think you guys don't get anywhere near enough money compared to footballers for example um so it'd be interesting to see what she thinks of her dad's job well hopefully she will be proud of me i don't know but uh <laughs> you know sure what uh um when when she born, uh, I had a feeling I was so proud. I was really, I was excited to uh, to meet her for the first time, and then I feel I feel stronger. I feel different, and uh, and I, I I cannot imagine this before. And and she gave me something more, and and I I think it's power and uh, uh, prudeness. So I want to make her proud, and I will give everything to make her knows my work, my uh, job, my work. And um, I need to stay for for a few years because uh, she's too little now. <laughs> yeah, no, you, you can't stop now. No, absolutely. Um, as I said in the introduction, you won't have heard it, but we've also talked in this podcast with Bradley Jones, who was a, a wildcard rider uh, at Donington Park last year. And, and Brad was saying that, you know, it was very strange for him coming from the British Championship into to World Supersport. And he said during the race, uh, the first couple of laps in... Um, in Donington last year, he said, I was behind Cluzel and I thought about passing him, but I didn't. And I said, I said, Jules will be very pleased about that because it kept the championship alive for you at, uh, after Donington. So uh, uh, you've got yeah. some great memories, of course, of, of World Supersport and great memories of riding in the UK at Donington as well. Um, talk to us, if you can, a little bit, though, about what it's like, like in, in World Supersport as a full-time rider. I mean, you came into the championship from from MotoGP paddock in terms of the Moto2 and 250s. 
World Superbike Paddock, it's very different, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's different. Um, I was quite happy when I, I came from uh, the GPs because it was something a little bit more relaxed. And uh, everybody say hi to everybody. There is less pressure, even if it's the same pressure. But uh, it feels a little bit more more calm and more yeah more relaxed. But um, yeah, I, I mean, it's it's uh, both are great championship. They are different. Uh, there is more importance uh, for MotoGP for sure. And this is a shame. And uh, even the same for super sports. It's a shame that we didn't get uh, more more support from the championship. But uh, that's life. Uh, our races are really great. I think uh, even many times more than the superbikes races. Uh, so we deserve a little bit more t- attention. I think. No, I, I mean I fully agree. I mean I've known you now for for probably nine or ten years. Uh, you know, a long time I've known you for, uh, and I love super sport racing. I think it's fantastic, and and I think the caliber, as you said, you you guys don't get the recognition. I think even before a lot of Moto Two riders came in, the level in super sport was fantastic, wasn't it? I mean, it's always been a fantastic championship. If you look back at the likes of. Uh, um, even Ch- you know, Chas Davies won the championship and, and, and Critchlow was in there and Laverty was in there, Andrew Pitt, Chris Vermeulen. I mean, it's always had some mega, mega names. Yeah, I can answer for you as well. And uh, Kayla, yeah, of course, absolutely. How can I forget? Uh, now, yeah, Andrea Locatelli and some, I, I mean, me, Mayas, we, we are all riders that I, I'm pretty sure uh, we didn't get the best chance to show in different classes. Uh, but the level is uh, is amazing, so it's it's great to still fight against uh, one of the top uh, guys in the world, and um, and yeah, there is really nice races. Um, I, I, in the mind of the people, is like Moto Three, Moto Two, Moto GP. Uh, Super Sport is a little bit like uh, something. Um, next, I mean, like after everything, um, and. And it's a shame. It's a shame, but it's life. And uh, I keep my target in my mind. I want to be world champion. Um, uh, I can get a chance in the world super sports class. So I will try everything. And, uh, and I'm trying to enjoy what I'm doing and giving always the maximum. And, uh, and I think uh, this is what I'm doing the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean, for those, again, we've got quite a lot of car listeners uh, that have subscribed to the podcast. So Jules Cluzel, the most experienced rider currently on the grid. He's been runner-up in the World Championship uh, three times, I think, second. Uh, sorry, Too much times. Say again? <laughs> Too much times, runner-up. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's got it's to come for you, surely. I mean, I think in the last five years, I don't think you've been outside of the top three in the World Championship. I mean, you've been so... Yeah, so I, I've been in 2015 when I, uh, I broke my, uh, my uh, both ankle. And uh, and I missed five races in a total of twelve, but I fin- I still finished fourth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, mean, I was going to mention that that horrific crash back in two thousand and fifteen, uh, which actually take took place at, at Jerez, um, which is the track that we're going to go back to. As a rider, I mean, you've clearly put that out of your mind. Um, was it difficult going back to Jerez the first time? I mean, obviously you went through a lot of pain and we'll talk a little bit about the, the fact that you've changed things on the bike to compensate for the injury that you had. But, you know, as a rider, was it easy to go back to Jerez after that horrific crash? Uh, in my mind, yeah. Uh, I took it like a, another race. But uh, I want to be honest. And on the Friday afternoon, this was the free practice number two. I was thinking about uh, that uh, crash. Uh, really? one year before yeah I was thinking like wow this time last year you you get a massive injury and uh, and it was in my mind and uh, yeah it doesn't really cost me but it was in my mind and then almost always when I'm I go there turn five I'm thinking about that so wow. <laughs> it's still it's still in my mind but uh, it's a turn uh, maybe you will see it this year but it's a turn where I'm really quick and I pass a lot of riders, so it doesn't it doesn't slow me. <laughs> no, I was I was going to say. I mean, you would never think it. I mean, I've commentated and, and been in the paddock for, for for nearly twelve years, as you know, and and I've commentated on a lot of your races. And I remember some fantastic fights a couple of years ago when you were uh, fighting with Caracasulo, and and you almost won yeah. the race on the Honda. And I'm thinking, my God, he's going to ride through him. You know, it's this is insane. Like you know. But um, yeah, I as, as yeah, said, I, I had great time in Jerez. It was a circuit uh, the same with Aragon, 
it was some circuit where uh, I never really do, I never won, but uh, I do good sometimes. And um, and Jerez was one of them. But uh, the last couple of years, um, I stopped that because I made podium always the last uh, three years in a row. Yeah. So so I, I never won there, but uh, hopefully it will be this year. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, this year, again, for the, for the viewers or the, the listeners, should I say, um, two races, which is something that we've not had before as a permanent fixture. So because of the, the COVID situation, World Superbike will still have the three races, the two long races, and then the sprint races, we call it on the Sunday morning. But you guys and the World Supersport 300s, a race on Saturday and a race on Sunday. So what's your feeling about that? I mean, again, social media... Um, a little bit crazy, some people liking it, some people not liking it. For me personally, Jules, I think it should be a permanent feature. I'd love to see two super sport races every weekend. Yeah, um, the first feeling was like it's uh, something that really we don't think about. Uh, so I was not really for that because, um, I mean, we will go in Jerez, okay, two race there. And then we will go to Aragon and it will be twice a uh, race there. So four race in Aragon. So it's, it's a little bit too much for one circuit, 100 points, I think. Um, but at the end, I, I, I'm, for, um, I'm a rider that wants to race more. Uh, I think in super sports, and I think both super sports, 300 and 600, we, um, we are not racing. Uh, uh, enough. We need more track time, especially because there is young riders that need to learn. Um, and I don't really understand why Superbike gets uh, three races and we got only one. So I'm I'm okay with two races, but this year we were we were not uh, ready for that. And uh, even the teams are have to prepare uh, engines and uh, and yeah, as I say, it's good to go two times in Argentina. To have two races in Argentina, two races in Qatar, two races in Spain, two races in Italy, but not everything in Spain. For example, it, it looks like a, a little bit of a Spanish championship. Yeah, yeah, and I've and I've heard people saying that. But I guess on on the flip side of the coin, as we were just talking before we started the recording, nobody could have predicted what happened after Australia, could they? I mean, we got on the plane, everything. No, was, for sure. You know, yeah. everything was relatively okay, and then we get off the plane, and it's like the whole world stopped. So I mean. I don't know what your feeling is. And as you said, it's, it's not necessarily perfect and, and not every rider will like it, but better to have six or seven races in Spain, Portugal, France, and get the world championship done so that we can, you know, move forward than sit at home with no racing. Yeah, that's true for sure. Uh, we don't have to complain because the, the um, organizer are trying to make the best uh, to make us race. So this is good. Um, and the world is not in the good uh, in the good uh, shape now, <laughs> so we have to find solutions, and this is one of them. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'm happy with that, and I don't want to complain. Yeah, yeah, no, no, fully, fully agree. Another change for World Supersport this year is the introduction of Pirelli slick tires. So again, for those that aren't familiar, normally in the World Supersport Championship, you would run, or the, the riders would run, on a treaded tire, um, as if it was a, a road machine. But this year, uh, Pirelli uh, agreed uh, and, uh, and sort of decided to bring in slick tires uh, for the very first time. What's your thoughts about that, Jules, given that you've spent probably the last seven, eight years on, on treaded tires? So I will give you my feeling the first time I tried the tires. It was, uh, we, we really didn't enjoy, uh, the same with my teammates and we didn't understand what happened. Uh, it was the, the bike was feeling really heavy with this tire because it's a 190, uh, slick tire and before it was 180. Uh, so it feels that the bike is, uh, heavier and, uh, we have to change the setup so much, but still, still the feeling is not great. We have to adapt. We have to to find the best way to ride it. But uh, it's not to ride the bike like that. Is not so funny. Um, but it's the same for everybody. So it's the same with the championship. We don't have to complain. It's like that. Um, I don't really understand why they put a one ninety instead of a one eighty because we still have only one hundred and fifty horsepower. So it's not a, a super bike, and. Um, and I try uh, in um, when I was doing the, the 
lap record in the circuit of Paris in Carole. I try a different slick tire, still one uh, one ninety, but with a different. Um, it was a little bit softer, and with this tire, I was almost one second faster, and uh, and even the um, the durability was a lot lot better than the one we got. So. I enjoy so much with this tire, and it's a shame that we didn't get. So we tried to push Pirelli to bring something different. Yeah, I was going to say, obviously, Pirelli have always been very open at listening to to rider feedback, and and we know that in in Jerez, for example, they're bringing more development tires uh, that they've been working on for the superbike class. So have have you always found that Pirelli will will listen? I mean, as you said, this is a brand new. Um, introduction for them they've never run slick tyres before and I will just say I watched some of your footage and the team's footage from, from Carole uh, which is a, sh- a small track just on the outskirts of Paris um, you obliterated the lap record there not just once but I think about three or four times I mean the lap times that you were putting in were insane uh, around Carole yeah yeah it was a great thing uh, the team planned three days there uh, and uh, the target was to beat the lap record that was done by uh, an Air 1 so um, with the 600, it doesn't look so easy, but uh, it's a circuit that's, that makes the possibility to do it with a 600. So to be honest, I didn't believe I, I was able to do it. Uh, Christophe was um, thinking I can do it. Uh, and at the end, we did it. So it was good. Um, you don't und- uh, the people doesn't really understand why we done that, but it was a really good plan because it makes me in uh, the mood to race again. It ma- it makes me on the mood to do qualifying, and um, and it uh, wake me up to <laughs> after nearly four months. Uh, it wake me up, so that was good, and um, and I'm really I want to say thank the, to the team because of that because uh, I think it was a great things, and we we. We do the target. It was uh, to beat the lap record and we beat by uh, half a second. Wow. Which is incredible when you think the circuit's not even two miles long. It's not even one and a half miles long, is it? How long? It's, it's, a, it's a short track. It's a really short track. Less than one minute. Wow. Wow. No. Well, con- congrats on that. Maybe that's a, that's a sign of things to come, Jules. Uh, it's a, a, positive, uh, a positive thing. You mentioned earlier uh, in this uh, this discussion uh, your teammate, uh, and we should talk about him, Corentin Perellari, uh, another Frenchman. You're, of course, riding for the GMT 94 team, an all-French team. What's that like? Because, of course, in the past you've ridden for, for Simon Bookmaster on the Honda, you've ridden for MV Augusta, an Italian team. What's it like sort of being in an all-French team? It's good. It's great. I'm so happy. Um, in 2018, I was looking at this, uh, this team that was coming from the endurance. And uh, they was next to us in Qatar, for example, and um, and I saw them working, and I saw the ambience, and uh, I was really hoping to go there. Um, and um, and yeah, at the beginning, every, everything needs to uh, to go on the on the good direction. We have to know each other, and uh, this was uh, happening the first year, and then we uh, continue this year, and um, and it feels like. Uh, one all together uh, we are united and it's uh, it's great i feel great with them uh, we are working on the good way we are improving things um, my teammate Quentin Perolari is a nice guy and uh, it's nice to share the box with him and um, and yeah we we go step by step we do pole position we do podium and uh, win and uh, we, now we have a, another target, and uh, I want I want uh, to be world champion, but I want also to give them this uh, opportunity. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I and I've been in the box many, many times. I even popped into the box in Aragon last week, and you always are made to feel welcome. You know, whether I've got the the, the World Superbike official shirt on or whether I'm just there in my shorts and t-shirt like I was in in Aragon. It's a, it's a very welcoming. Uh, pit box. We should also mention, uh, ladies and gents, for those that are listening to this podcast, that Corentin Perellari is always already a world champion, but a, uh, it's a ping pong world champion, isn't he, Jules? I mean, he's, he's a master. <laughs> <of ping-pong. laughs> yeah, he's a master of ping pong. I play with him in, Port- in Portimao for the uh, this year testing, and he beat me. So yeah, he's a master of uh, ping pong. But to I'm be gonna, honest, I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm really bad with. Uh, Balls, balls game. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? If, if this was going out after midnight, we could have a completely different show now, couldn't we? <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, we have a, 
a funny story about that. Yeah, yeah I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, joking aside, obviously, um, we can't not let you go without talking about World Superbike because you have ridden in World Superbike. You raced for Suzuki. Yeah, you've been a podium finisher in World Superbike. Lots of talk um, that maybe the current team that you're in, the GMT 94 team, they've got aspirations in the future, maybe to go to, to World Superbike. Um, what was your experience in World Superbike like, Jules? And have you got any ambitions to go back there in the future? Why not? Why not? Um, now I'm focused on, uh, on my championship, on uh, my year. But uh, why not? We will see the opportunity that uh, maybe will come. Um, my experience in Superbike was great. I did it in 2013 with Suzuki, the old big girl. And uh, and it it has been a good year because uh, Leon Camier for me is one of the best rider in the superbike class, and um, and it was difficult to beat him, but I was able to beat him on my uh, rookie year. So so it it has been great. We I even did a, a podium in Silverstone, and um, and I had some nice races uh, during the year. So. It's a shame that I didn't really get the opportunity to stay uh, one more year, but uh, I also get another opportunity to go back to Supersport in, the, in a great, uh, great team. So uh, that's uh, opportunities and uh, hopefully maybe it will come again. Yeah, for sure. You mentioned Leon Camier, of course, and we should say that it has now been confirmed, if, if people haven't seen the news, that Leon Camier will not take any further part in the 2020 World Superbike Championship. He's being replaced by 39-year-old Marco Malandri, who's coming out of retirement. I mean, we've, we've had older riders coming back and winning world championships, but did, did you ever think that Marco would come back, Jules? I mean, obviously, you've, you've been on track with him in the past, and, and obviously, you've seen him around the paddock. I, mean, I, I thought he was done. When he retired in France last year, I thought, that's it. He's, he's going to go home now and spend some time with his, his, his partner, uh, Manuela, and uh, their little girl. Uh, and that was it. So it was a bit of a surprise that, that he's back. But I guess it's, uh, he must feel ready to do it. Otherwise, you wouldn't come back. I, I could not imagine Marco coming back just to finish 12th or 13th. I mean, he must believe that he can still get some results. Uh, to be honest, yeah, I was surprised. <laughs> when I saw this news, I was like, wow, really? I was thinking maybe Kumenawa will go there. Um, but uh, yeah, then... We talk with the friends and uh, nobody understands that. Um, I, I like Marco. He's a good guy. Uh, he showed so much in the past. And, um, and I was thinking, and everybody I think, was thinking it was uh, retiring. Uh, so it's, it's look, it looks a little bit strange. It's great to get Marco again. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think we also need to, uh, to get some, uh, some younger guys maybe. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I mean, as I say, nobody really knows the reason why. And as I say, I mean, I know Marco quite well. And you've got to believe that he believes that he can, he can still win races or, or at least fight for the podium. But as you said, we've got a lot of younger riders coming through now and riders that you've raced with. Uh, Caracasulo, for example, has now stepped up and you know, Scott Redding's come into the championship. So it's, it's not going to be easy, but then it's not going to be easy for Jonathan either. I mean, we saw in Australia uh, three fantastic races and it's Alex Lowe's that's leading the championship. So... You know, in, in motorcycle racing, as you know, uh, Jules, anything can happen. Yeah, no, Marco is training so much. I'm following him and he's doing cycling every day. Uh, so for sure, he doesn't uh, uh, get relaxed after the, he announced that he will retire. So he's, he's fit, for sure. Yeah. Um, as I say, he's a really, uh, uh, like he, he's a really good uh, rider because he gets so much uh, victory in GPs as well. And uh, it's great to get him. Um, so we will see what, uh, with, what happened. I think a lot of people will, will be interested to see. So it's also great for the championship. For sure. F final question, because we are coming up to, to 25 minutes. And uh, I don't know, maybe you've got a nappy to go and change or something. I'm not sure what, uh, what you've got planned for the rest of the, uh, the evening with the little one. But uh, I've got to ask you, who do you see, if you had to pick uh, two riders, uh, who would be your two biggest rivals, do you think, going into this season, uh, given that we've already had one race in Australia? Who, who, who is, who's the target, do you think, that, that's going to be, uh, be there? I mean, there's going to be more than two for sure, but just on, on your experience and, and from the first round, who, who do you think are your two biggest rivals for the title? Um, I don't want to say about Ryder uh, with the, the biggest one. For me, is the, 
yellow team uh, that won okay. last year. <laughs> okay. uh, because these bikes, uh, we don't really understand why, but uh, get something more than us because we, are, we have the same bike, but uh, the difference is there. Uh, so yeah, they still they, they are still so quick this year, and they will be the guys to beat for sure. And then I don't really know because there is a lot of really fast and uh, experienced riders as well yeah. uh, in the championship. So I think it will not be easy, but uh, I cannot I cannot really say one. Um, it's 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 too difficult because I think we will got a lot of different uh, uh, title contender. A very, very politically correct answer there. I never knew you were going to be a politician when you when you stopped racing. That was uh, was a very, very diplomatic answer. But I agree with you. I fully, fully agree with you. I think to pick just one, two or three riders, I think over the course of a season, I think maybe seven or eight guys could win races week in, week out. Um, and with these two races as well, as we've now seen in MotoGP, the other thing that I guess all riders, including yourself, Jules, will have to think about is you can't afford zero points. So on a day that maybe fifth is the best you can get, it's better to take the points, right? It's it's that for sure. This is what I learned with the with the experience. Uh, but to to continue to answer about the uh, the other question, I mean, we need to respect every rider. This is what I learned. And uh, sometimes I I saw interview with uh, with the other riders that uh, uh, say which one will be the title contender, and they don't they don't really talk about me. Uh, and I was like, what? I think I. I <laughs> I one of them, but uh, I, for me, it's not a respect for the others. So um, maybe there will be a surprise that we don't know new riders coming and uh, can be a title contender. And uh, we have to respect every team, every riders. Uh, for me, the target is one uh, that I told you, but um, I want to focus on my target and don't think about one guy or another one. Uh, I need to think they are all fast and I need to be the first of all of them. I love that. Absolutely love that. Uh, Jules, as I said, we've been talking now nearly 28 minutes. It's, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. I know we, have, we always have so much fun together in the paddock. Really looking forward to seeing you in, uh, in a few days. Thank you so much for, for joining uh, the Vroom podcast. Give my love to, uh, to Petra and, of course, to, to little Kimmy. And uh, again, thank you so, so much for joining us and good luck for the rest of the season. Thank you for that, Michael, and uh, hope to see you soon. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye, mate. Bye-bye. A big thank you once again to our two super sports stars, Jules Cluzel and Brad Jones. Good luck to them when the season gets underway. Episode 6 next week, well, we're turning the attention away from the riders and putting the spotlight well and truly on the team managers. GMT94 team manager Christophe Guillaume will be joining me poolside in Portugal. GMT94, the former World Endurance Champions, Christophe himself, a former racer in World uh, World Superbike, and of course the team manager of Jules Guizel and Corentin Perilari this year in World Supersport. And my final guest next week will be the legendary team boss, Colin Wright, who I'm sure most of you will be familiar with, and he for sure will have a few stories to tell. So that's what's coming up next week. There's a lot to look forward to in episode 6 of Room. Room. Your weekly motorsport fix podcast is produced by Michael Hill and is edited by Gareth Bouch of Room Media. The music is by the Rain Dogs and it's a production of Michael Hill Promotions. <laughs>